You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Quarantine and Chill, where I sit down with a disability thought leader and we talk about their experiences being disabled during the pandemic. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your number one queer cripple, your disabled Dick Smith. I am your disabled dandy and everything in between. Let's get comfy, cozy, crippled in quarantine and get this show started. First things first, before we start this quarantine and chill, remember that if you want to be a part of a quarantine and chill, you can email me directly at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Send me an email with a little bit about your disability, a little bit about your experiences of quarantine, and something interesting that you want to talk about that's happened to you during the pandemic as a disabled person or something important you think we should know regarding disability during the pandemic, and send that over to the email disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. And we'll book you in because I think we need to have more discussions with disabled people about their experiences during the pandemic. And this is a great platform to do that. Also, I really want to connect with more people who have invisible disabilities during the pandemic and people who are black disabled people during the pandemic. I want to talk to all of you. So if you want to come on the show, be sure to drop me a line. I'd love to amplify your voices and amplify your story during the pandemic. On the show today, I sit down with my friend Sarah Camps, who was a guest on the show back in, I think, episode 109, I think, and we just had a chat about their experiences uh, being a disabled person back then, and we talked a little bit a little bit more about queerness and disability in that episode. In this episode, I sit down with them and talk a little bit about their experiences as a person with multiple disabilities during the pandemic, including things like fibromyalgia, bipolar, ADHD. We have a really, really interesting chat about how all of their disabilities play a role in in how they're feeling during the pandemic, what they have done to make themselves feel better during the pandemic, and some of their really interesting hobbies. We talk a little bit about their love of history and biographies and memoirs to help them through the pandemic. We also talk about the importance of their work. They work at a Center for Independent Living in Indiana, and we talk about what the Center for Independent Living has done to ensure the safety of disabled consumers, and we kind of talk about what a Center for Independent Living should be doing to protect consumers. Um, We also talk about their work as a contact tracing, someone who works in contact tracing, and how that could help or hinder the disability community. Uh, We also do the regular questions of, you know, things that they want to let the disability community know and things they want to let the non-disabled community know during the pandemic as a disabled person. And I really liked sitting down with Sarah again. They had a lot to say. They were super knowledgeable. And it was super fun to just sit down with them. So I'm going to stop rambling. We can get right on to the episode. Here is episode 18 of Quarantine and Chill, right now on Disability After Dark. Camps, hi. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for coming back on Disability After Dark. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, live my best quarantine life, just hanging out. Um, I really loved our chat the last time you came on. 
Oh, so did I. Had such a good time and so much fun. And so I reached out to you the other day because I was like, I want you to have you back on because we just had fun. So. Oh, seriously, um, it's such an honor to be back on. <laughs> it's you know what when 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 the quarantine hit, I was like, I have this platform, and people keep saying like, when can I come on the show again? And I'm always like, mm, it's hard to find an angle. And I was like, now I have a great angle to have people back on. So it's it's fantastic. So thank you oh, so much for taking the time today. Um, yeah, you're welcome. You are awesome, but can you start by introducing yourself to us and tell us a little bit about, just reintroduce us to your disabilities and how they impact your day-to-day. All right, well, I'm Sarah Camps. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. Uh, My disabilities, oh, I've got a laundry list. Um, I'm autistic. Uh, I have bipolar disorder, uh, ADHD, anxiety, uh, fibromyalgia, asthma, epilepsy, and I'm pre-diabetic. Oh wow! I forgot, and you—I'm sure you gave me those that list till the first time we talked, and I forgot that it was quite extensive. That's you are, <laughs> you are one of the amazing one of us who has several disabilities to contend with at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're like unicorns in the disability community because we don't have yeah. one; we have like seven. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're jack of all trades. Pretty much, we're you we're like we're extra unique in the disability community. Um, yeah. That's not to say that every disability isn't unique and great. I'm just saying I was making a joke. Don't come for me. Uh, <laughs> um, so how how pre-COVID would you say your disabilities played a role in your life? Uh, well, I would say uh, my asthma, no, not my asthma, uh, my being autistic and my bipolar have been two of my biggest, have had the largest impact on my life. Um, I had just before COVID, I had been through a really deep um, bipolar relapse. And so for the past year, I had just been working on uh, rebuilding myself, um, basically, you know, going through therapy, going through intensive outpatient, all that stuff, just a lot of intensive work. So just a lot of self-work to like get everything for yourself back on track so that you felt okay. Yes. I mean, I, I had just dealt with a lot of stuff. I, my mother had just had died um, a year ago. Um, I started and then ended a job at a not so great place. And then I think also just biologically, I started to uh, fall back as well. And so, so the past year before the pandemic it was it was just focus on me yeah i mean that's a lot to manage like it's a lot to manage without a pandemic barreling down on us um yeah. and it's a lot to go through and i think people don't understand the 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 impact of having all that stuff to deal with plus being disabled and plus trying to manage all those things too um that's a lot so i can imagine with covid being what it is right now how are you managing all that? Like, how's, how are you feeling with COVID? Um, COVID has been a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, there have been times where I've felt kind of helpless, um, where I would be scared of not what I was doing, but what other people are doing. Yeah. And, um, but, the, and just the sense of not knowing when normalcy maybe not normalcy, but stability will return. Yeah. But also it's been a real period of growth for me as well. I've learned, I've um, developed some resiliency skills. I've learned how to take control of some things. Um, I have been learning to focus on just what I can control in regards to behaviors and not worry about the world's affairs. So it's kind of allowed you to recenter yourself because of yeah. all the isolation and because of all the stuff. It's yeah. It's kind of made you feel like you've, you, there's, you, you can't focus on, the, on all of the pandemic. You can only focus on how it's affecting Sarah. Exactly. I can only focus on, I, I can only focus on what I can do. And that has kind of 
grown into having that same kind of uh, resiliency and feeling in other matters of life. That's great. So, so this big, scary, world-changing thing that has scared a lot of us has, has, in a way, well, it's also scared us, scared you too, I'm sure, but it's given you like something more tangible to, to focus on. Yeah, it's kind of forcing me into tackling some roadblocks that I've had head on. It's it's kind of like it took some things that I've been kind of avoiding working on and it's like and it's put them like right in front of me and made me confront them. And so I have actually this has actually been quite a period of growth for me. That's great. That's really, really great because it's a tough time for a lot of us. Um, yes. Just because you mentioned a lot of you're dealing with a lot of mental health disabilities and, and, and invisible disabilities that are that normally people, people who don't understand disability might not associate with disability. How has the pandemic affected your bipolar and your that kind of stuff? How, like, can, you, can you go through that with us? Uh, with my bipolar, um, at first I had a lot of ups and downs when, after the first couple of weeks, I started hitting sort of that quarantine fatigue. Yep. I felt really tired all the time and I felt really down. Um, and I just was exhausted and depressed all the time, especially in mornings. Like yeah. mornings, I just didn't want to get out of bed, even though I was trying so hard to try to maintain a routine. Yeah. But after a while, with some help, like I, I um, I, man, I've been managing to maintain my um my therapist and psychiatrist appointments virtually. Great, that's great. And uh, so through going through my feelings and issues with them and managing my medications properly i've sort of been able to kind of climb out of that hole yep and um i've i still have some moments every now and then where i things start feeling a little bleak but i'm much better off now than i was in the beginning of the pandemic and even than i was a year ago that's great. I mean, it's great that you're able to access mental health supports virtually, and it's great that yeah. you're able to have that support. This is yeah. kind of this is like a time of just huge upheaval of everybody's like stuff and our, our normalcy. Um, one of the things I didn't write down, but I'm curious to ask you because I had forgotten all of the laundry list of awesome disabilities that accompany your awesomeness. Um, <laughs> what would you say? is uh what would you say is something that meant the something we need to do for the mental health community to during the pandemic like what should we be doing that we haven't done or what what kind of resources do you think the mental health community needs right now oh gosh uh i think uh i think um i think honestly i think the mental health system is really in need of an overhaul um we need a lot more access to uh virtual connection uh, uh virtual uh services we need a lot more connection to um we well not a lot more connection but we need more affordable services we need to make um access more affordable at, that's a big problem, particularly in the United States. We yeah. are starting to have a lot of these virtual therapist programs, but they're still pricey. They're still out of a lot of people's reach. Yeah. And we need to figure out ways to support people that don't have virtual access. Yeah. And I, you know, that's, that's a great guy. Like, I don't know, even know because <laughs> we're so connected I don't even know, like in my ignorance, I'm like, I don't know how would you, do, what would you do? Like how, what is a non-virtual, like social distance safe option? Yeah. Yeah. We need to kind of consider um, just all sorts of situations. Um, 
and we need to overall we just need to make it easier and we need to prepare i think the mental health uh, community needs to prepare for um resulting trauma once yeah. this is all over yeah because there's there's going to be a lot of people dealing with with uh this is going to this is likely one of the most traumatic experiences a lot of people have been through yeah or it could be aggravating people that have already dealt with trauma and so we have to prepare for the aftermath and you know i agree with you and i think this pandemic even when we come up with a vaccine in hopefully 18 to 24 months and like when things do start coming back to what they were or some semblance of that the trauma of this will not go away it's not gonna it's not going to it's gonna linger with us i would say for probably the next 10 15 years realistically mm-hmm. oh yeah there's gonna be it's it's affecting whole generations yeah completely and it's i mean it's just it's something that i constantly you know as i sit here in my home in toronto and i haven't left my house and what is today it's, it's like the second of july i haven't left yeah. my house really i've left my house maybe four times in the last three months and it's 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 a lot to, to manage. Um, it is. I want to shift to another question now. Yeah. Uh, now, living as somebody with an amazing laundry list of disabilities, some of this stuff that we're experiencing for a lot of us with disabilities has has kind of felt like just a continuation of every day. And a lot of non-disabled people are saying, oh my God, this is so new. And a lot of us with disabilities are like, nah, this is like a Tuesday, whatever. Yeah. Uh, how how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about uh, like it being just an, a continuation? And, and is there a sense of comfort and familiarity for you? Yes, I feel like I was better prepared for this than some, maybe, because I've had long periods of time where I've just uh, where I've had um, to deal with isolation, and so I was kind of ready for this, but with the additional stress of just fewer things in the outside world being accessible and just the threat of a virus. Um, I resolved to myself to try to take advantage of opportunities that I have that now that I had even less access to things um, to just take advantage of whatever little opportunities I do have in regards to like contacting people, taking advantage of like virtual events, stuff like that. So if anything, I, um, All right, leave you there. Yeah. Huh? Oh, I thought I lost you. Oh yeah. Sometimes my internet's a little spotty. Oh, that's okay. So you were saying, you know, taking advantage of virtual stuff and... Yeah. Take advantage. I decided there was a lot of stuff pre-pandemic that I figured, eh, I'll do later in regards to stuff that I want to try, things I want to learn. And um, I... Before the pandemic, I've dealt with isolation, but I still had some outlets in the outside world. And yeah. having that taken away, I realize I kind of made it. I considered how much of an impact that would have on me of having no outlet to the outside world, and so I kind of resolved to take those things that I've been wanting to do, but just kind of put in the back burner and. Uh, and and do them like I've developed some new hobbies. I've learned some new skills. Um, I've learned some new job skills because I was job seeking before this. Uh, and so I I was prepared for this, but I in some ways. But then I kind of took what experience I did have and tried to make it better. Sorry, I derailed a little bit. <laughs> oh no, no, it's totally fine. It makes sense totally. Like, I, like, and I, I like that you were trying to make it better, also too. And like, I think 
something you said that, that I that I really kind of gravitated to right there was that you were like, I was ready for it in some ways, but I wasn't in other ways. And I think many yeah. of us with disabilities, like when this first started, I was like, oh, I'll be good. No worries. I'm used to this. Like I'm home all the time anyway. No big deal. And literally it's month five now of like really stilted human contact. Yeah. And like, like it feels super weird. Like I'm not like I was used to being home all, most of the time with uh, the occasional going out to someplace like the cat cafe or, or to the library. I was not used to being home all the time with another person in the house. Yeah. That's something I was not used to. You said your, your partner's home a lot now. Like Yes. My spouse is working from home. Um, he's considered to be a, um, his company is considered to be an essential company, so they were allowed to stay open. But luckily, they have a really solid um, virtual platform that lets people work from home. Oh, so great. since March, they were one of the first companies in the city of Indianapolis to have people go home. And they've had as many people as possible work from home since then. And they're for the time being, they're going to do that for however long it's going to take which they're thinking at least months i would say realistically at least a couple at least a year yeah yeah no like they're months well is a nice months is like a nice possibility but realistically yeah. i think it's at least a year well months can mean anything months could mean could mean at least the rest of the year yeah yeah <laughs> considering that think- we're in month seven of 2020 the longest year ever the longest year of what feels like the last five years. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Um, yeah. And so being at home with your spouse all the time, how does how is that when it comes to managing disability and managing your time and all that stuff? Um, I find that his, how he maintains his schedule, his li- sort of living uh, routine can affect me. Like, he's been dealing with some issues with sleep. His sleep patterns had been thrown off. They're starting to get back on track. But he started, like, staying up later at night and having to sleep during the day. And that's threw me off a little bit in my routine because I was trying to ma- I've been trying to maintain a, a routine each day. But um, for the most part, it hasn't been a huge problem. We really enjoy each other's company, so um, most of the time, if we're hanging out, it's it's just fine. But if we need a break from each other, we have separate areas of the house, and we're, you know, which is a privilege for a lot of people. Yeah, not a lot of people have that sort of escape. I also love that one of the places you went to pre-pandemic was the cat cafe and the library. I think that tells our listening <laughs> our listening audience the kind of awesome nerdy person you are and i'm here for it 100 percent, and i support you oh my gosh all the ways can i just think thank god for library apps i've read so many books and listened to so many audiobooks i've uh ever since now my adhd's been under control i've been reading more books on my kindle and listening to more audiobooks on my phone and i've read more books just in like the first month of this than i did in the last year that's great. I gotta say, I really love library apps and like I yeah. love like audiobook apps, and it's really been helping me to, to like I downloaded Narnia the other day, the whole collection, just to like reimburse myself in my childhood favorites. And yeah. like it, it's really nice to have somebody read you a story before you go to bed. I gotta yeah. say, I like listening to essays and memoirs as audiobooks, and I also really like history books as well. Like right now, I'm reading one that I think you might actually be interested in. It's called Buying Gay, and it's about how the old physique magazines of the 50s and 60s uh, helped nurture sort of uh, early commerce amongst gay men and uh, commerce and community. Wow, I, I've never heard of it. I will definitely, I will check it out because that's that does sound like something i could i could both listen to and enjoy and also like critique and be like so what about this no it's it's really fascinating it's a it's a really interesting uh bit of history and i love histories and essays and memoirs and stuff like that and i you and i could just if we ever hang out in person i feel like we would just go to a cat cafe oh totally 
history books out and just start reading about yeah no i'm oh, a huge, yeah i'm a huge history buff and i love i love anything history um what is some of the what is the best part of social distancing for you as a disabled person right now and then what is some of the worst best part of social distancing hmm i would have to say the proliferation of more accessible means of communication all of a sudden now that able people need things like working from home virtual meetings stuff like that it's now much easier to request these things yeah because now um non-disabled people are seeing that these are valuable tools and necessary tools yeah um i think one of the worst parts of social distancing is when you're trying to um when you're trying to keep yourself safe and the people around you are being are not taking the same amount of caution you know yeah, being kind I, of reckless and everything like are choosing to just not care that you are might be scared or you yeah. might um be more susceptible and they don't seem to realize that like you're telling them over and over again that like hey i could die from this please don't do that yeah, like there's like I there will be times where I need to go to run to the store to grab something, and there will be people without masks or people that are just like standing too close to me, and it's just like I'm, I I tense up because I'm not very confrontational, but at the same time I just want to tell these people back off, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like I need some kind of like I need some kind of like passive aggressive way to do that <laughs> like get a shirt printed or something i mean a shirt would be great you could also just give them like the like standard disability don't stand so close to me stare like, yeah just sort of the the glare <laughs> that tends to work pretty well um yeah but i would see you know seeing we just had canada day like yesterday upon this recording and seeing the number of people that just on social media we're out and we're like together without masks and I was like have we forgotten what time we're in like this is not Mm. I get we want to celebrate and like I would love to be out there with you too but I also want to live so we could just yeah we have we have Memorial Day in May and we've got the 4th of July coming up Uh, Memorial Day was a shit show some places were better than others Um, Indiana wasn't terrible for a red st- and unfortunately in the united states the response and the um and the results of the responses have gone p- to be political and you know how red states are doing has is a lot different than how a lot of blue states are doing and for a yeah. red state indiana's doing pretty well okay. uh but yeah we've got fourth of july coming up so and now that things now that more things are open, it's probably just going to be, oh, there's, there's probably going to be a reasonable uptick. Yeah, it's going to, I mean, there's already a huge uptick for, like, so much so that the, the Europe was like, you're not getting in. Thanks, America. Bye. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. And luckily, they've, luckily, they've, uh, experts have noticed that, like, it doesn't seem like the protests of the past few weeks have not created a major... Um, a major um, increase of of uh, positive cases that it's more likely the reopening of certain states. The reopening, and you know, the parties people have like I, I, oh yeah, I Alabama having that having their Corona party. Uh, I just read about that today, and I <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Why would you think it's a good idea and a funny idea to say who gets Corona first, and if you get it, we'll pay you my like what what oh yeah like what like early in the early in the pandemic my husband was thinking would it be better to just get exposed to this get over and get over it kind of like chicken pox but then he learned the stuff that it can do or might be able to do and the fact that it may have some residual effects and he was like no i'm i'm not touching this yeah i mean i thought the same thing when it first first we when we first first were aware of it i literally was like Come on, people! It's just the flu. Like, I mean, like at that point, the all the only information we had was you get a cough and you might get a fever and you might 
whatever. So at that point, I was like, oh, it's just the flu. No big deal. And then as more information came out, I was like, okay, it's way more than that. Like, yeah. all right, it's really scary. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, that, that information for us as disabled people really kind of, kind of set the tone for mm. what we had to do over the next six or seven months, which was like, you have to just stay home. And it really reminded us of like our fragility, not, not our fragility as like people, but our fragility as disabled people and that we have compromised immune systems and things could yeah. happen to us. And like, it just reminded me of, yeah, this could happen. If I get this, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of want to kind of want to go into that because so many people are talking about, you know, about COVID, but we're not often hearing from disabled people and getting them to tell us kind of what it means, what, what would happen to them if they got the virus. So just so people understand why it's important for them to stay home and why it's important for them to wear a mask. Can you kind of illuminate for us with your grab bag of disabilities you have there? Can you kind of illuminate for us like what would happen to you or what do you think might happen to you if you were to contract COVID and why it's important to for people to stay home based on that? Well, one of my main concerns is my asthma. That is something that, um, it, while it is mild, you never know what could happen with it. So that's a concern. Um, also, being sick, like getting another illness while also experiencing fibromyalgia makes things really difficult because you're already having pain and you're already feeling sick. And then you're also, you also have an actual illness on you or you could have an illness and you think it's just a flare. And so you wind up be spreading it to people. Um, also, apparently being fat is considered a high risk category because supposedly fat people have a higher risk of developing a, uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome. So apparently oh. I have to worry about that too. <laughs> fun just another added bucket of things to be concerned about so like, oh yeah so yeah so if you so i guess what you're saying with the, the whole the host of things you have with your disabilities it could it would definitely take hold of you and then it would be a problem yeah at the very least it would be really uncomfortable and at the worst who knows and so if you could speak to some of the people right now who aren't wearing masks, who aren't social distancing, who don't seem to realize the gravity of what's happening and, and what it could mean for you. Maybe some people that you know in your life who, who care about you and who are your friend but don't aren't taking the virus as seriously. If you could say something with love to them about why it's important to stay home, what would you say? Honestly, I would say it's not about you. It's not about you for once. It's about someone else. It's, it's just, and hitting them with the honest truth is love. I just, they have to know that it's not, it, the pandemic is not a solitary thing. It's, it's a communal experience. And if you get sick, it's not just, oh, I'm sick and it stops there. No, you caught it from someone else. And therefore, you're going to spread it to someone else. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's um, I think it's sort of one of the problems with having a hyper-individualistic society is that we don't have as much of a communal mindset. And we seem to have forgotten what empathy is. Um, yeah. Entirely, yeah. Yeah, completely. One of the things that I loved, that I was really excited to talk to you about today based on what we talked about when I sent you the, quest the questions and everything, one of the things that I was really, I think is important to talk to you about is that you work on the board of directors of an independent living center. Can you tell us more about that, first of all? And then I want to talk to you about how maybe the coronavirus has affected the way the day-to-day -day of working at an independent living center and how we can, and like, what has been done to protect the disabled people living there and what or what should be done if you can illuminate that that'd be great sure um i am on the board of directors of accessibility 
We are a Center for Independent Living based in Indianapolis. Uh, we serve the central Indiana area. We serve like seven or eight counties within central Indiana. And it, it's funny, I had joined the board in February and then the next month we've got we've got the uh we've we've got the pandemic and so it's been sort of a trial by fire yeah of of gaining all this experience and and learning every learning everything about being on a board i'm not just learning about being on a board and making decisions that affect a nonprofit. i'm learning about making decisions that affect a nonprofit during a crisis yeah um, and our CEO has been fantastic. She's been transparent about everything that the uh, CIL has been doing, uh, since the start. Um, they, uh, right away, they started working virtually, working from home. Uh, they're one of the very few, um, the very few CILs in the country that was already prepared to do that. Uh, a lot of CILs in the United States were not prepared for working from home. Um, a lot of their files weren't digitized. They didn't have uh, an infrastructure set up. So they're scrambling around trying to uh, set up, you know, get equipment for their staff and digitizing files and setting up a network. And so it just, you know, a lot of these CILs were in a panic. And luckily, we were one of the few in the country that was already somewhat prepared for this. And so um, we managed to continue the vast majority of our services. Uh, I believe 98% of services we were able to continue virtually. Wow. Which is amazing because usually when you think of independent living, you're thinking of um, face-to-face meetings. With and like your care needs and like yeah yeah you know assessing homes and stuff like that um but no we've been able to keep the mat the vast majority of our work virtual and so and um we also managed to secure um i don't know how much of this was shared in canada but we've had some small business loans, um, loan programs, the paycheck protection program where small businesses and nonprofits could um, put in applications for a grant. eh? Yeah. It was like, they call a loan, but if you meet certain requirements, it's a grant and you don't have to pay it back. And uh, we managed to secure that. We managed to secure some funding under the cares act. And so we've been able to maintain business during uh, during this period is there a worry with independent living centers that because um they serve the disabled population a lot of the times is there a worry that coronavirus could spread there is there a worry that like there could be could be like a lot of virus can, like, absolutely spread? absolutely uh because because how um like i mentioned earlier there's a lot of face-to-face contact you know when it comes to assessing homes uh training on equipment um you know helping with with uh working public transportation uh just there there are a lot of reasons why someone would have to be face to face with someone yeah um a lot of times we you know our staff has to go to people's homes because they can't leave their homes at that moment yeah so there's definitely concern and that's something that our CEO and the staff has um, addressed in our reopening plan. And, how do, having, and if you can, if you're allowed, if you're able to, can you like eliminate how they, how they have looked to readdress that? Like what are they hoping to do to make sure that, that disabled people stay safe? Well, it's a tiered system. Uh, like a lot of places uh, it's, it's, it's opening up in stages. Um, eventually we're, we'll be working with smaller groups of people initially and then we'll slowly increase uh like for example for a while we won't have um we won't have consumers coming to our office um and then eventually we'll have like 
25% capacity and then like 50% capacity and 75%. Yeah. Um, for home visits, we'll provide things like masks and hand sanitizer, and we have distancing rules, um, even down to um, what to do with pens. <laughs> um, basically, we're going to be giving away a lot of pens because instead of sharing them, it's just going to be like, here, keep this to sign your paperwork. <laughs> yeah, don't give it back to me. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, here, here's a gift. <laughs> but um, – but yeah, it's it, a lot of steps need to be taken to make sure that consumers are safe. Do you think that given that it's an independent, these are independent living centers and they're dealing with the disabled population, do you think that um, as testing becomes more available, and I know in the States it's different, and I know that each state has like their own views on how testing can be done, but where I live in my supportive housing unit here, they, we, we, ha- we had, you know, somebody tested positive and we they had to get us a, a mobile testing unit do you think that at some point the independent living centers across the united states would say like if we're going to serve this community we should also be applying to get testing for for our centers i think that's something that really should be addressed yes that's something that i actually have not thought of um that you make a great point is that we need to be able to um, make sure that our consumers can access testing as needed. And that should be considered a part of independent living is being able to access, uh, access those medical services. I mean, I just think for disabled consumers to be able to like every Wednesday at four o'clock, we're going to do COVID testing. And if you want to come, like if you want to, come down and socially distance and do that or like if we can find a way to get it to you or like, like yeah this will take time obviously but I just think that like I remember when I had to get tested the first time it was great to have they had a team of people um you know come from the one of the hospitals here in Toronto and they were with us with our with the the care staff that I knew like, and they all together made sure to do the test and like in front of the people and we did it and they made sure that every single disabled person that lived here got a test. So I just think as more testing becomes available, like it should be, it should, CILs should like do something in, in the US and Canada to like make sure that these, these services are one of the places they get tested first. Because in Canada right now, long-term care homes, not the same thing, but similar, are being ravaged by the virus and you know people with disabilities who live in similar situations are could be next and so i just think these testing services should be widely available yeah absolutely um it's like over 40 percent of uh covid deaths in the u.s have been um long-term care facility um residents so uh um, yeah, I think this is something that we sh- really should address, and I actually have a board meeting next week, so I can probably address that, because we, as far as I'm aware of, I don't think Indiana has a testing service that will go to where you are, and I've heard of some, I've heard some people say to me that, like, that they wish that such a service existed, but I don't think we have anything like that. We've got a lot of testing centers um, in my area of Indianapolis, because we're, we're the epicenter of the pandemic in our state. Uh, but the problem with that is that they all have different requirements for testing. Like, like there's a place down the street from me that has virtually no requirements for testing. You could just go in and get a test. And then there'll be another place uh, a few miles away that is like you have to have a doctor's order another place that's like oh you have to have symptoms and there's just there's no consistency in our yeah. testing system which i think can be super tough for disabled people who who are scared and who yeah. want to just go get tested yeah yeah um one of the other things you do is you work in contact tracing which as you told me before we hit record is like uh it's like where you go back and see who got the virus and how how it spreads and that kind of stuff. Um, My question was, how do you think, how do you feel that the practice of contact tracing could help, help and or hinder the disabled communities in curbing the virus? I think um, contact tracing 
can help. Uh, contact tracing is has to be one of like many tools. Contact tracing alone isn't going to solve the problem, but it can help curb it. Contact tracing has a long history of being used in uh, things like um, testing for like HIV, HIV and other sexually transmitted infections and other like smaller epidemics. Uh, so it's an important tool. Um, I think how it can help the disability communities are is that um, it get it spreads more knowledge to more people. Uh, more people can uh, can because uh, part of contact tracing is giving health advice. Yeah. And so that so more there's more knowledge being spread around, and also people that could be vulnerable that have had exposure to someone that tested positive may be able to uh, will be able to gain that knowledge i mean they get it confidentially they don't know who they're exposed to they're just told that they have been exposed to someone and that we're going to monitor them for symptoms over a certain period of time yeah and so it can help make them aware of potential exposure and could empower them to um, be able to monitor their health and make sure that they stay healthy. Um, how it could be a detriment though, is that I think the biggest thing that could be a detriment is, um, is it could cause a lot of mental distress. Like if you find out that you've been exposed to COVID and if you're in a particularly, um, for lack of a better term, vulnerable population, it may, it, it could possibly grow from just having knowledge of it to it becoming an all-consuming fear. Yeah, so this kind of goes back to the mental health thing we were talking about earlier. We need to find ways to disseminate the information, but also be aware if you're if you are giving contact tracing to vulnerable communities that also deal with not only physical disabilities, but also may have mental health stuff or invisible disabilities that you weren't aware of, how are they going to process that information that they've been exposed? And how is yeah. it going to play a role in their, in their well-being? Yeah. And um, this, how, what we spoke about earlier about accessing testing, that's another concern. Uh, because if someone has been exposed and they are developing symptoms, we generally recommend that they get tested. And it's like, okay, but what if they can't go to a testing center? What are they going to be able to do? Yeah. Uh, also, some good and bad things can happen in regards to uh, referrals to services. Uh, we always check with um, the people that we're calling to see if they are safe in their homes and to quarantine and if they have everything that they need to um, maintain the quarantine, you know, food, medication, uh, toiletries, stuff like that. And the positive part is that it could get more people that require services steered toward those services, but at the same time, it could possibly cause a strain on said per uh, services which um which i'm not saying let's not refer people to services i'm saying let's make these services more robust and create even further services so that people can gain access more people can gain access do you think do you think the csls can be a good um could be a good starting point to get more robust services? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, CALs have like, are, have an important role to play in um, the, um, in sort of like the development of services. Um, we have, I think we can strongly, I think we can and should strongly advocate for these for um, improvement in services. Yeah, and I think it would be really awesome to know that CILs uh, were, you know, on the forefront of that. And so I think that that 
at your board meeting, maybe these are little ticks you can be like, hey, guess what I thought about? So, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there's some stuff that we've been doing um, as a state, as, as sort of like a coalition of CILs in Indiana. We've been developing some resources, uh, such as information on, um, on um, rights as a medical consumer. Um, we've made them in um, various formats, including plain language formats, Spanish, um, so that people can print it out, check certain thing, boxes on there, and show to their healthcare provider, hey, we have right, I have a right to adequate treatment, and if this is, and if you do not treat me adequately, I, we can, I am going to contact these certain people and make a complaint. And I think, you know, given the number of disabled people that I've seen in the news recently who have been denied services to the point where they've died because of the services yeah. have been denied. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Michael Hickson recently who yep. was a quadriplegic who passed away because the doctor decided he didn't have a quality of life and that didn't matter. So, so I think yeah. having these, you know, rights on a card and stuff printed out when you go see a medical provider or when you have to see a medical provider to know that they know that you know what the fuck's going on as a disabled person is really valuable. And I think that's a great, great start. Yeah, it's, it's important to help people to be able to um, advocate for themselves. Completely, completely. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I love to hear that Center for Independent Living all over Indiana are coming together to create resources because, you know, throughout this pandemic, there's been such limited talk with the disabled community other than disabled people kind of writing their own stuff and putting it up on their own blogs and doing like you know this podcast for instance but there's such still a limited like voice of disabled people within a large organization saying like hey what about this and so i think yeah. that's i think the fact that that senators for independent living that are doing that in indiana that's fantastic mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask if you could speaking to the mic to other disabled people right now going through this pandemic and you could give them like just a piece of advice or just something to make them feel better going through this pandemic, what would you kind of tell them? I would say that we are possibly at a golden age of virtual access to supports and resources and entertainment and things like that. And I would say to take advantage of those if you can, if, if they are accessible to you, to take advantage of those because that's something that has helped me kind of keep a routine and keep my mind, uh, keep my mind uh, kind of um, clear and steady and functioning and like doing something regularly. And um, it's helped keep me kind of distracted and it's just, yeah, <laughs> sorry. That's, I mean, that's great though. And I think you're right. I think we are in a, we are in a weird golden age of as much as I, as much as I loathe Zoom. Also yeah. Zoom, thank you for letting us have this interview today. But, you know, as much as I loathe these platforms because they're really stressful and after like four hours a day on Zoom, I want to like poke my eyes out because it's just right, no more. But at the same time, like without it, how would I, how would we be able to talk and how would we be able to have connections? So I think, yeah. Yeah. And I think that can, we need to also keep the people that are providing these opportunities, um, keep them accountable and demand that they continue them beyond the pandemic period. Yeah, completely. And I, 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 I think, you know, services like zoom like you and i are talking right now but there's no automatic captioning when you and i are talking like there yeah. should be i wish there was automatic captioning i wish that like everything i'm saying was also on the screen so that, that it, it would keep us both engaged that way but it's easier yeah. for us like they could do a lot more and i think you're right about accountability these services are great but they have really faltered when it when it comes to access um and this is their huge chance to fix that. Yeah, TAC takes a, a very, a very much of a um, an after the fact approach to accessibility. Like, uh, 
like for example twitter with their new um voice, voice tweet function yeah. um yeah tech is not very good with um or at least like silicon valley is not very good with um being proactive to accessibility needs they're better at being reactive and we need the we need it to be the other way around totally definitely um and then so if you could flip that question around to if you could give some advice to the non-disabled community who is probably going through this kind of stuff like self-isolation for the first time stuff that you and i have experienced you know well before this if you could speak into the mic and give them some advice as a disabled person what would you say to them mm, i would say try to develop a structured routine but at the same time you're going to feel production uh, uh, fatigue about being productive and you're not going to be as productive as you usually are and that's okay be kind to yourself uh give give yourself some grace uh, think about what I uh, think try to focus less, take focus away from what you haven't been able to do and try to focus and try to put more emphasis on things that you can or you think you can do. And yeah. um, that usual, at least that usually helps me feel better when there's things that I'm unable to do. I, I steer the focus away from that and I focus on what I can do. Uh, and I think another piece of advice I would give to non-disabled people is to really dig into your social network, um, your social circle, uh, see how other people are doing, because likely, it's likely that what you're feeling, someone else is going to be feeling as well. Um, and so there can be a great, some great camaraderie amongst us all, because this is a shared experience. We're all experiencing um, at least some of the same things in this pandemic. Some people are dealing with it in different degrees than others, but uh, there are some shared experiences and that can, that, and if we just communicate with each other, it can pro possibly uh, make it easier for us to go through. Yeah, totally. And I think the shared experience part is really good. I also think like the disability experience throughout the pandemic versus like the non-disabled experience is different, but I do yeah. think it's interesting how, how we can find common ground in this moment. And mm -hmm. instead of on both sides, on the, both the disability side and the non-disabled side, instead of the disabled community saying, well, we told, we've been telling you forever, like, yeah, of course we have, but I think there's a way to do it gently so it's like hey we're all in this together like let's I, I could be mad at you and i could be mad about ableism and maybe i am but at the same time i think like it feels better to just be like okay we're all in this together let's like not maybe fight i think this is a great opportunity for disabled folks to become leaders yeah. uh in their uh and um and sort of lead by example. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think we have spent so much time in the disability community saying to non-disabled people, like, you know, fight, like there's kind of been a division of like disabled versus non-disabled. And I think, well, that division is important and I get why it's there. And like, of course we've been oppressed and that's, that's something to never forget. But I think at this, in this moment, it's like, how can I use my skills as a disabled person to guide you as and instead of saying, I told you so. And I think now uh, we can take this opportunity. Uh, in the past, it's been hard to get uh, certain access needs um, or just to get people to understand because it's disability is a lived experience. You can't get it, sec you, can't, you can't experience it vicariously through someone else. And now that non-disabled people have experienced some of the barriers that we deal with, I think now is a good time to say, okay, now that now that you have a little bit more understanding, work with us to make this better. Yeah, totally, totally. And my last question for you, Sarah Camps, is, and you kind of touched on this, so I'm going to pick one part of this question because I like 
how has the pandemic affected your relationship to play? I, I've actually gotten busier because of the pandemic now that I'm working with, uh, as a contact tracer. And so I find I have a greater appreciation for leisure time. Um, I, I try to use my leisure time to its full advantage. I mean, sometimes I have to just relax, you know, I get very tired, (laughs) but, um, I try to, I've been trying to find new, um, activities to work on like um once the pandemic once everything started all the um stay-at-home orders started i ordered a um a um a little model library to put together and i enjoyed that so much that i eventually made a model loft apartment and now i'm starting to make all the i I found a new hobby to work on and so it gives me some it's one of my favorite things to do after after a shift is to spend an hour or so and assemble tiny furniture (laughs) i mean that just falls in line with your aesthetic about the cat library and the like the the cat cafe and the library and this and so none of this is surprising to me and the more and more you say it, I'm like, I want to be here, but can we hang out and can we like do it together sometime? Oh, totally. I need to find uh, tiny cats for my library so that for my little uh, bookstore so I can have like shop kitties. I have a feeling if you went on Amazon right now, I have a feeling it would be, they would be, they're somewhere in there, I'm sure. Probably. I've been ordering so much from Amazon. I've, I've, I've really gotten into stationery again, um, oh, nice. especially like writing letters and sending postcards and working on my planners and my journals. And so I've just been spending so much money on paper goods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've been doing a lot of like journaling too and writing and like, like this kind of stuff. And so I think it's, I think it's really cool though that you've been able to, 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 you know, find a hobby that like normally you might be, shy to mention but like yeah i'm home now you're gonna have all this time so i'm gonna just do my thing yeah awesome this is a really really fun combo i it was so nice to reconnect with you oh yeah it was it's fantastic i i seriously i enjoyed it last time and i definitely enjoyed it this time i'm sure we will find a way to have you back for another episode at some point because we just it's just really fun and very, oh, that'd be fantastic. It's just so fun to talk to you. And it's really interesting to like to sit down and, and talk about the pandemic with somebody who works in, in all the ways that you work with our community. So thank you so much for the time today. How can people um, follow you and how can they get a hold of you and how can they support what you do? Oh, well, um, you can find me on Facebook under the name Sarah Cahill Camps. Um, I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be, but you can find me on um, at uh cheese pickles oh yeah and, your name <laughs> uh i think i might be getting back to twitter again soon uh so you can uh, find me through those and uh you can find me on instagram as at uh henry underscore slinkman amazing all right i'll make sure that all those are in the show notes when we when this episode airs thanks so much for coming on episode 18 of quarantine and chill wow it's already been 18, 18 weeks of this little project that i thought would last four or five and it's gone on to 18 so <laughs> amazing um sarah camps you're great thanks for coming on today when we'll talk after i press stop it's a pleasure great to talk to you and we'll talk again soon all right thanks bye bye All right, friends, there you have it. That was episode 18 of Quarantine and Chill, where I sit down with Sarah Camps. We we had a really great chat. I love these episodes so much, and I love talking about how disabled people are experiencing the pandemic. The next time we do a Quarantine and Chill, which will hopefully be next Friday, I'm going to talk about my experience during the pandemic and some of the things that I have done. So there will be no guest for that one, but it'll be me sitting down with you talking about my experience during the pandemic and what happened when one of the staff where I live tested positive for coronavirus. 
We'll see you again for another episode of Quarantine and Chill really soon. Thank you so much for following everything about this feed and following the show. If you want to be a part of Quarantine and Chill, you can email me directly at disabilityafterdark@gmail.com using the subject line Quarantine and Chill. I'd love to have you because we are far from through with this pandemic and disabled people's voices need to be heard. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Gerza. Bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020